Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 129, Power Games. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from our worldwide Shedquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. We're back, Jesse. We're back, man. It's been a long time. A lot of things have happened. Summer. Summer has happened. But uh, believe it or not, I've had multiple, and I mean this, multiple people press in with me on like, hey, uh, when's that uh, Sacred Games actually kicking off? Love the introduction. When's the the first one coming? Oh, I believe it. So uh, Sacred Games, so hot right now, I guess, Jesse. (laughs) And we have been unable to... Uh. Uh, competently get here yeah. mainly i mean man what a summer i've had a weird summer man i had covid i had a weird eye infection which began with like getting too much sun i think and then putting cream on my eyes and i had allergic reaction couldn't come to the part of the thing i wanted to come to with the bonhoeffer house reunion right. when you got when you first had it i thought it was from our lunch because remember oh, we went out to lunch that day maybe i ate something weird yeah and i thought what did you eat yeah. but then I, you ate like Fried chicken on uh, a salad. So yeah, that was, yeah, that is what I had. I had a, I I remember. a salad. I pay attention to yeah. every meal you eat. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. I feel weird right now. <laughs> um, and then, and then it turned into a sty under on the Ugh. bottom eye, and then it turned into what's called a chalazia. And I like had a peanut inside, like in my eye. It's mm. been two almost two weeks, but hey, it looks almost, good. It's man. Almost gone. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Moved another child. Uh, I guess I don't have ch- too many childs anymore, Jesse. I moved a young woman. A young adult. Uh, to, in, in honor of Kai, I got the Swanee Tigers, Swanee, the University of South, where Kai's playing soccer. Um, she's in preseason, go checking in. Swanee, Swanee sounds like what my um, my late father-in-law would say instead of cursing. Yeah. I Swanee. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, Kylene was like, she had a lot of her friend group were going to really kind of well-known universities, yeah. and and she got As into, she could have she right. got into yeah. some really. I mean, we could have sent her to Vanderbilt for six grand a year. It was unbelievable, but uh, she wanted to play soccer. Love the coach. It's a top fifty liberal arts school in the country. It's a great small little place. Um, and you know, she's doing her vice chancellor scholars thing there, which means I ain't paying nothing. So Jesse, we're excited about that and, uh, dropping her off and getting her going, but it kept us from getting, and I, I was the culprit here rescheduling a couple times of this episode, but, um, mainly because Jesse knows this. Sometimes I'll feel like I'm just not smart enough on a topic and you I'm like, to get smarter. Yeah, I do. And I was like, I just, I just don't know if I'm ready to talk about this yet. I need to read more. I, I feel like convicted. I'm a dummy on need some, a couple more days. <laughs> for Foucault Foucault power discourse analysis like and I'm afraid like the preeminent Foucault scholar in the world will listen to this podcast which they won't <laughs> and, I, and I'll feel like they'll call me up and say well you're kind of a dum-dum and I'm like I know I know but I'm so, so sorry so I was having to bone up on things and trying to get uh, definitions in place. So not only just for us, but also to be helpful to you guys. We don't yeah. want to just do a bunch of goobly gook on this podcast. Well, we were going to do this last week. And when you said, hey, what if we push back? I was so glad. I didn't want to tell you how glad yeah. I was, but <laughs> I was preaching at, at Valley Bible Church this Sunday. And, and I haven't preached in a while. So it, it and just we, gave and me we a had a, a group of leaders we've been working right. with this year that had a big uh, celebration where you smoked meat for us for 10 hours on Saturday. Oh, yeah. So That brisket, man. I'm you, having it for lunch today. Yeah, you did it right. And the cube stuff was real good. Oh, I think yeah. your, your your flavor on that point was even better. Mm. We're, we're going to get distracted, guys. Yeah, we start yeah, talking gonna... about smoking meat. But we're going <laughs> to talk about Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, we are uh, beginning our first mm. of the Sacred Games, if you were with us in our introduction. Um, we looked at, okay, what is a world 
that denies God, right? Okay, God is not real. We're going to say God is dead or whatever. What does society look like downstream? And Friedrich Nietzsche, right, predicted this. We read some of this quote, but he, he, he said, hey, is there still any up or down, right? We looked at that. Science of the good. Is there any right or wrong? Are we not strength through an infinite nothing? Don't we feel the breath, the breath of empty mm. space? Has it not become colder? In other words, he said, okay, human beings, if they're going to live really different now, how are we going to comfort ourselves with this world? Um, what sacred games will we have to create for ourselves? What festivals of atonement? And by that, uh, we human beings seem to be uh, wired for transcendence and worship and all over the world at all times, even whether they're at a, you know, somebody's at a Justin Bieber concert or the Beatles or, or whatever, uh, people worship or, or dipping themselves in a sacred river or going on a pilgrimage or, or into a church. Um, people will need new things to create as kind of religion replacements. And then atonement, how do we make ourselves feel good <laughs> or good about ourselves in a world we're Clearly, right? This is where uh, the the most provable thing about Christianity, clearly the world is sinful and people do wrong. And so what is the fruit born in our culture now, the sacred games we now present have created, right? Not looking forward, but have created to fill our kind of meaningless voids of life and our empty selves. And so we said we're going to hit seven of them because seven's a great number. Uh, power games, Connection games, neo-tribalism, how do we connect now uh, in community? Pleasure games, consumer games, political games, war games, a particular type of war we're engaging in today, will be related to our topic today a little bit. And then number seven, finally, truth games. How do we deal with uh, epistemic? How do we know knowledge, truth, religious, cultural pluralism? So that's where we're headed, Jesse, but today... feel like we need to talk like the beginning of Masters of the Universe cartoon back in the day. Say, I have the power, but do we? <laughs> Who does? Seems like everybody has power or doesn't believe in it or believes it. It's kind of confusing today. We're going to begin, Jesse, with a quote from an article because um, we're sophisticated people that read, read The Atlantic. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it is from The Atlantic by Jonathan Haidt. You and I both have read this, passed it around a little bit. Uh, great title, How the Last Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. You almost want to spell that with S T O O P. <laughs> uniquely stupid. I, you want to read that quote for us? That, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So he says um, Historically, civilizations have relied on shared blood, gods, and enemies to counteract the tendency to split apart as they grow. But what is it that holds together large and diverse secular democracies, such as the United States and India, or for that matter, modern Britain and France? Social scientists have identified at least three major forces that collectively bind together successful democracies. Social capital, which which is extensive social networks with high levels of trust, strong institutions, and shared stories. Social media has weakened all three. When people lose trust in institutions, they lose trust in the stories told by those institutions. Very insightful uh, reality. Now, his article does go into the unique uh, social media contributions or destructive forces of that in our society. Yeah, and he, he makes the point, he makes the case that it's not, it's not social media, but when social media 
turned from being a, a, a media of connection to a media of performance and platforming. That's right. With the That's introduction right. of the like button and the retweet. And That's those right. Types of things. That's right. Where you wanted to uh, sh- stand out and yeah. show out, yeah. so to speak. Uh, so we're not going to ca- ca- connect with that too much today. But what he says here that, you know, what, what holds a democracy together of which, you know, our culture is one. Uh, social networks with high levels of trust, you know, family, community connections, right? Um, you know, strong institutions. What are those? Marriage, church, schools, governments, these kinds of things, right? Shared stories. We share certain understandings of truth, of goodness, morality, beauty. Um, historically, let's say these things came from uh, the, the, the sacred stories of a culture, uh, namely things like religion. Um, so if if those three things, right, uh, kind of connect people, what if these things start to fray uh, immensely and we start to be suspicious of literally everything? So today we've just simply called this power games. And now this is a big field we could jump into, Jesse. We're going to try to stay in our lanes as best we can, but also ask the question, if a culture has no rightful authority, right? If everything is suspect, right? And, you, and if you have friends that are like hyper-political, maybe hyper-liberal, hyper-progressive, hyper-conservative, they're suspect of everything, right? They can't yeah. trust a word out of anybody else's mouth. And so when we're suspicious of a, any kind of authority, anyone who asks us of anything, anyone with quote-unquote power, what happens, what do we do then with this power game in life? So now, um, just to help those of you out there like me, who I was a major uh, applied computer science, physics, I have a master's degree that kind of scoped philosophy, theology, biblical stuff. Um, I was not a sociologist. In fact, I've told my kids, don't major in that stuff, man. You major in something like else. Uh, that's just my opinion. You may major in sociology if you like. Um, but I wanted to help us with a little sociology 101. This is not complex. This is from an article by Ashley Cross, Crossman called Power Definitions and Examples in Society. She says this to define power. The most common definition comes from Max Weber, late 19th century Prussian German, who defined it as the ability to control others, events, or resources to make happen what one wants to happen in spite of obstacles, resistance, uh, or opposition. I have the power. Power is a thing that is held, coveted, seized, taken away, lost, or stolen, and it is used in what are essentially adver- this is important adversarial relationships involving conflict between those with power and those without. Okay, Jesse. So, uh, power. Now, Weber laid out three types of authority: traditional authorities, uh, char- you know, that are worn through traditions and institutions that have been around a long time; charismatic ones, meaning you know somebody who can just pull a crowd. Right? We've seen that charlatans in history, and then say legal rational, which he, as a German, he probably would say that was the good kind or whatever. So, if we're looking at power today, as like, hey, this thing that can be held coveted by different people or groups of people. Uh, this is a game our society is playing all the time. In fact, you cannot, uh, if you want to read like a debate going on, uh, <laughs> if you want to on, say, Twitter about some controversial issue, um, usually you're going to see someone dump out to, well, those people just have the power, want to keep the power, or they have all the money, or they have this. Now, the reality is, right, 
this is a really good insight in our society. There is such a thing as power. Um, it and here's what I'd hopefully today we're going to push a little bit more towards. It can be used in a good way. It can be abused in terrible ways. Uh, but we we jump to a different layer then, and not simply who has the power. It's more of is what is going on with it. And so historically, Jesse, um, if you think about where authority, and I'm going to use the word authority and power kind of almost interchangeable. Yeah. I know they're slightly different. Um, but historically, you may think of God, church, family, legitimate government, right? Uh, the legitimacy and the legitimacy and authority of the state, right? Um, that's a big popular one in kind of post-God thinking is that the state or the government or the social contract or the system um, should be the thing that uh, is the authority over our lives. Now, this, at least in our civilization, Jesse, was influenced highly uh, by various thinkers, probably in the 17th, 18th century, certainly uh, Thomas Hobbes, who wrote a book called Leviathan. 1651. Uh, there's a portion of that called Selections on the State of Nature, right? The way folks just are in nature, uh, and the state of war, right? And he's not just talking about lining up with guns. He's, we'll get into that in here in a moment. Yeah. And the formation of the state. And he says a couple things here, Jesse, that I think are very important, pretty uh, insightful, uh, although maybe his source of authority and mine might be different. He says this, again, men have no pleasure... And on the contrary, a great deal of grief in keeping company where there is no power able to overawe them all. So his thing is says that we're miserable if we don't have a shared kind of authority out there, right? For every man expects that his companion should value him at the same rate he sets upon himself. This is golden rule sounding stuff. And upon all signs of contempt or undervaluing, he naturally endeavors as far as he dares, which among them have no common power to keep them quiet as far as to make them destroy each other. He tries to damage those who show him contempt. Right, so he's saying here is if we're not unified under some sort of authority uh, that says we should respect each other, we should obey the law, whatever, and someone devalues, undervalues, or disrespects us, shows us contempt, we it's go on. We it's on. It's right? on. It's on like a pot of neck bones, like we used to say <laughs> as a kid. So in in the nature of man, we find three principal causes of quarrel. Right, first competition. Secondly, diffidence or mistrust is what that means. Thirdly, glory, right? You can tell this guy grew up in a culture shaped maybe by the Bible. Who knows? Um, the first men invade for gain, right? Uh, we're competing, so we're, we're trying to get stuff. I'm going to go take your yeah. gold mines or whatever. The second for safety, right? I don't trust those guys over there. We got we to we put up a wall, right? Um, and the third for reputation, the first use of violence to make themselves masters of other person's stuff, right? Wives, children, cattle. The second to defend them. The third for trifles <laughs> as a word, a smile, or a different opinion, or any sign of undervalue, either direct uh, in their persons or by reflection in their kindred, their friends, their nation, their profession, or their name. That glory again. And remember, right? Some of you young people out here know this now because of the musical Hamilton. People used to duel. Over right. dishonor, right? You go, let's go shoot each other because you disrespected me. So Hobbes continues, Hereby it is manifest that during the time that men live without a common power to keep them all in awe, 
right? Something above us. There. And I, he probably is using that term in a respectful fear kind of way, yeah. right? If there's nothing above us to keep us in awe, they are in that condition, which is called war. And such as war is a war of every man against every man, for war consists not in battle only or the act of fighting, but in a tract of time where the will to contend by battle has become sufficiently known. So the nature of war consists not just in actual fighting, but in the disposition to war during all the time there is no assurance to the contrary. So there is no peace. All other time, Hobbes says, is peace, right? So if you don't have this power over you and all, man, you're going to be at war. What yeah. are you going to do? So whatever's the result in time of war where every man is an enemy to every man, the same results occur in a time when men would live without other securities than what their own strength and their own inventions shall furnish with them. And here's what he says to close here. In such a condition, there is no place for industry, working hard, being productive, because the fruit thereof is uncertain. And consequently, no culture of the earth, no uh, n- uh, no culturing of the earth, uh, no na- uh, nor navigation, nor use of the commodities that may be imported, no uh, building, no instruments for moving and removing such things that require force. You know, you know, build the Brooklyn Bridge, right, or or the Hoover Dam. No knowledge of the face of the earth. So science suffers. No account of time. No arts. No letters. No society, which is worst of all, continual fear and danger of violent death and the life of man, solitary, and this is the famous quote, Jesse, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Now, I know that's a lot, guys, and from the 17th century, and these are very formative kind of ideas, right, in our civilization that, look, if you always are fighting each other all the time, you don't do anything productive. You can't build anything. And, you know, are we in that state as a culture? Well, Ross Duthat in his book, A Decadent Society, makes that argument. Um, perhaps portions of our thing are just constantly consumed with the bickering and infighting so yeah. much that we do nothing productive anymore. And we got, man, we got big problems to solve. So if there is no, what Hobbes says, common power to keep them in awe, what do we do? Now, what do you think, Jesse, he's thinking about there that we need above us or kind of Hobbesian idea? Sure, the state. You know that there's that uh, the state is the ruler that keeps us in order. Maybe the monarchy. I, I honestly, I don't know Hobbes very much. Yeah, right, uh, right, right. Could uh, be a monarchy. Could be a social contract. Social that, contract. You yeah. know, Og and Trog make with each other. Yeah. Like, hey, let's not steal each other's stuff anymore. Let's agree that stealing's bad. You know that kind of thing, right? Um, and then the question, like that, I have as a kind of a skeptic at times, right? Yeah. Well, what gives the state authority? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Who said? Who says uh, things should be this way or that? Um, and this is where you know we did an episode called "Critical Comeuppance," right, where we looked at you know critical theory, postmodern thought a little bit on okay, if there is no such thing as true goodness, right, no source for that. Well, then what comes home to us is like, man, no, nobody's good, and who knows what's right, and there is no right out there. We just have to fight it out in them streets. If there's no common set of authorities or power, who do we trust? Yeah, we fight. fight we got to fight it out in the comment section. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> on do. Social media, we do. Or 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 dumb cable news yeah. stuff, right? It's a. Uh, and so think about it. If those things that hate talked about relationships or social networks of trust, what if they break down? What if there are no institutions that we trust anymore? You know, church, state, families, marriages, uh, governments, what, what happens? What if there's no shared stories? This is the problem with social media echo chambers, right? Yeah. You, okay, the algorithm's going to 
hit stuff you like more and you're just going to be in your little cul-de-sac of doom uh, and not talking to anybody else. What do we do? Right? Yeah. And, and you know, the, the interesting thing, we, we mentioned Charles Taylor in the last episode and, yeah. and his idea of um, the social imaginary, those shared yeah. stories that shape us. And, and it, it's almost as though, and this is why we're talking about this, the shared stories, the, the social imaginary for, for us right now in the West is, uh, we still have it, but now it's power. I mean, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, that yes. is what it is. Like, it's a power well, game. Now, wait a minute. What are you trying to do when you yes. say that or you make yeah. that claim? What's, what, is, what kind of power are you trying to preserve or exert? How are you trying to... And there is a very self-righteous posture on kind of uh, all sides of the war, so to speak. Yeah. So you're just trying to protect power and privilege. No, you're just trying to protect power and privilege. You're being political. No, you're being political. And so we, uh, if there is no good, and if there's only power, and, yeah. And then the shared story is a shared story of distrust, a yeah. shared story of suspicion. Yeah. yeah, you're either fighting the fascists and the patriarchy, or you're fighting the, uh, you know, Antifa or whatever. Yeah. You're fighting yeah. the communists and the socialists. We're going to tear down everything you hold dear. So this is it. Now, look, let's just say this, Jesse. Look, we got to say this clear. I've been praying about this. I got to say this clear. Power is real. Yeah. And in injustice and the abuse of power, we should care about the use and abuse of power. So that, right, we want authority. God, God believes in authority in the Bible. God is the highest authority. We should employ any derivative power that we have from God in our attempt the best that we can to do good. Now, obviously, that's a problem. There is no good. But um, so here's the reality. We we obviously did a whole series on this about the importance of the ontology of mm. the good, right? Mm -hmm. The good is real. It exists. We can discover it. Uh, we can grow. We can make moral uh, uh, growth. We can... Uh, you know, the knowing of the good is a, a learned thing. The existence of good has to be a thing. Yeah. And if not, right, then all does kind of collapse into power. Foucault, right? This is his early stuff, right? That Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We were talking about this before. I actually, uh, Reed, I did um, uh, like a senior thesis on Foucault when I was... Yeah, uh, come on. <laughs> we got major. a Foucault expert. So, <laughs> far from it. He didn't so, want me to say that. Yeah, yeah. If, if, the, if, the, if that Foucault person you're afraid is listening, yeah. is listening, forgive <laughs> he's me. Sitting, yeah. He's sitting right here. Yeah. yeah, let's go. 20 years ago, I wrote yeah. a paper on Foucault. So as a, I am as a 22-year-old. Yeah, 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 I, I knew everything back then. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but some of the interesting things about Foucault, of course, Foucault is really, really influential with gender theory, especially Judith yeah. Butler, who's yeah. kind of the... Yeah. I don't. You can't say matriarch. Uh, whatever. Yeah, with gender and queer. <laughs> whatever theory. pronouns she uses, um, I don't know. Yeah. So you know, she wrote a book. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, gender undone, or I'll I'll figure that out. Okay. But in it, she talks about how like really Foucault was is her inspiration because Foucault uh, recognizes that, or not recognizes, believes, teaches that uh, uh, that power is really just. Power dissimulates as ontology. Right. So if you make ontological truth claims, that there, there's no ontology. There's no truth. Right. Yeah. Therefore, it's really you're just weaponizing that ontology claim, using it, using it to for some power yeah, purpose. Yep. And so, and Foucault was sort of uh, he wasn't really con concerned with what's true. He was con he was sort of uh, upsetting the apple cart left and right. That That's right. That's guys right. Guys like Hobbes and Kant. Yeah. That they're. they're Really, their view of power is 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 antiquated. Yeah, they're, they're modernists. Yep. Right. They 
they would think that there is some true and good and that we tried justice that we should try to get to. And with Foucault, it's like, no, people are just doing stuff. And Foucault would say to Hobbes that that quote that you just read, yeah. like, well, that's just what you think. Yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, you're 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 essentially believing that you need to have some power. You're enslaved by this power dynamic that's that you right. think is good. That's right. that's right. And you just need to be free of it. Just, that's right. You know. And and into the chaos that Foucault lived under, which was a uh, bunch of democracies with laws and constitutions and government to protect his rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. Now, so so if okay, so so a lot of times following that, if there is no truth, goodness, beauty that's real, right? And I and I would agree, right? If God is dead, if there is no God, that is true. I say, if there's no God, the implications of that. Nietzsche was honest, right? Yeah. If there isn't these things, we're all just we're just making stuff up, yeah. And everybody's making stuff up, and you just happen to not. You might think what they're making up is icky, or they're doing something that I perceive as what what Hobbes said is as dishonoring me, or undervaluing me, or harming me. And in that case, I have to deconstruct what you're doing, tear it down, so that I guess I can put in my operating system of what I want, uh, so that I can be i guess uh, uh, as far as i can understand it do my what i want it's not your good. own power yeah. you know be 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 autonomous in the that's world right. you know that's like right. the, some of the things michel foucault um uh maybe i don't know i i don't like using helpful and foucault in the same <laughs> sentence but but uh question essentially showing that we do have power yes. that there's you know it's not just the queens right. and the kings that exert coercive power over everyone us. can and how we yeah. talk and how yeah. we you know discourse with it yeah, disc- yeah. there's there's reality That's there right. and That's i think right. he also questioned uh and deconstructed the idea of like a progressive scientific you know, enlightening, right. getting better and better, yeah. which is nonsense upon the right. worldview that which that's founded, right? But then, if you follow him all the way, and there's no ontological truth, there is no God, there is no 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 good power. It's just it really just becomes a war. It's a battle yeah. of yeah. exerting yeah. my own autonomy, my own power against right. you. And the more the and there's the interesting, the more fragmented that becomes, right? Um, it's one thing if it's like the USSR versus the West, right? Now it's like, I don't know, I kind of like what Hobbes said. It's every every man against every man. Yeah. And because what what is good and right and true is so subjective now that even you can drill it down into a person's own perspective of their inner life should reform everyone's reality. And out of kindness, we should submit to that. And so... Wow, Jesse, this is uh, this is really encouraging. Like so, so, <laughs> so, so. Here's the thing. Um, I'm just going to say this with my power, whatever it is. Um, any discussion of power that doesn't talk about justice or goodness or human flourishing, right, uh, is problematic to me. Yeah. Um, because how do you say, okay, stop doing that, Nazi? If Nazism is just like that guy liking vanilla ice cream, right? It's like if we're just warring ideas of what we want and not saying this is really unjust, that should, if we say that ought not to be, we're playing a different game than merely the power game. See, the power game only says, okay, there is no ontology. We're just going to, we have to see through what people are doing. So you got like people saying, oh, they're just trying to keep power. And people are looking around and say, what power? Like we were joking earlier about some, you know, 
you know, a guy who's maybe holds a certain theology and somebody is screeding about it. Maybe it's a queer theorist or a feminist is screeding at this guy saying, you're just trying to keep power. And the guy doesn't make much money. He's an elder of a church. He loves his all his female family members. And like he's somehow we're seeing through what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah as though you can see through yes. from the outside. Yes. And and. And, and that's the that's and the tell suspicion. someone else what right. they're doing, right? What their motive is, and, and whether they think they're doing that or not doesn't matter. But I think I like what you're saying about the the referent to justice, the referent to goodness, because in the end, if if you really believe that all ontology claims are just power dynamics and discourse, then then it, 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 it's chaos because you can't actually say what you're saying and doing is wrong. That's right, because there's nothing to refer to. We could say we we. We don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I know Foucaultian people, this is what I was worried about, Jesse. They could call me and yell at me for this. <laughs> but the reality is everything they say does apply to themselves. It is a snake eating its own tail. So if, and now think about it, if we must look at every relationship, every relationship with any authority, like how should I look at my, my parents, right? Um, every connection we have, and we have to interrogate to see through mm. these things, Right to see what what are they really doing. And you have to kind of have this belief that you have this power yourself, this godlike view that you can somehow determine what they really think, what why they're really doing it, even the motives of their hearts. Well, they only want power. I think it becomes lazy both in our interpersonal reaction interactions and uh, our listening to what other people actually think and believe. So, and you don't apply it to yourself. I'll, I have this kind of, a, maybe I have an education, maybe I'm more... Uh, my politics are, I think, are better than yours. Whatever it might be, uh, you have to trust my words to see through the power and authority because I, I now become the authority in your life. They're new, they're, it becomes a new priesthood. And look, this is done. This is not just on like one political or this or that political view. This power game is being played by everyone. It's by being played by amoral entertainers who use power and act as if they're not doing it, or they just simply don't care, right? I'll do what I want because I can want. That's the bold Nietzschean view, uh, whereas maybe the cautious Nietzschean view is to say that they're you're victimized and like we have to expose all the oppression in the world. But think about all your relationships, Jesse, if you were to uh, only see them through a lens of power. Well, how would you see your marriage? Did, I get, did you get married to have power as a male Jesse, did you get married to have power over Jenny? Some people might say you did. Uh, Parent-child relationships. We see this in discussions of like who's uh, who has the right and authority. Is it parents? Is it a 14-year-old? Is it a school board, right? Uh, why do people want to govern? Are there any people who want to be in politics other than just their uh, want to oppress other people? Um, why do people do anything? Is it only... Power. It is power maintaining privilege, but is it only that? Is it only to oppress or be oppressed? Um, how do people think things are true or not? Um, should we just throw out uh, rules of evidence and epistemology and how do you adjudicate this article on Fox News is false or true? Um, how do we do this, right? See our episode on resisting misinformation, but this is very problematic. Mm. And there are massive problems with the abuse of power and authority. But if we have a moral framework, we can judge these things. We have to adjudicate between things and correct things like injustice. In fact, uh, try to read certain things like from the civil rights movement without a moral center, 
right? You find it very, very difficult. And this is this is an article I read yesterday by Foley. He's a Baylor historian. He's an elder at the church that my friend planted in Waco, Texas. And he was there was a big dust up in. Uh, uh, the History Guild, Jesse, you're probably not aware of the big dust up in the History Guild, where they were wrestling with presentism, like how do you judge the past from the present? His, his view was, of course you judge it. He's like, I'm a black guy. Of course I judge the past through the lens of uh, morality and justice. I, I must do that. To not do it, it would be evil, right? And others are, you know, you got to judge the past based on its own terms, that kind of things. This is the thing. With that framework, right, of goodness and justice, we can correct things. Without it, we are set uh, set adrift on the sea of power, suspicion only. Again, we should be suspicious of power, but only such that we will never have a joint communal view of authority. That's why, you know, if I know someone has a, like I married a, a woman who believes in uh, the Nicene Creed, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker, we believe in that. We stand in awe of that. We are very unified mm. in the community of our family. Now, if if you um, if you would permit me to abuse a C.S. Lewis quote for a second, <laughs> see, uh, C.S. Lewis said anytime, in, yeah, in in actually an article uh, or an essay called "Learning in Wartime" uh, in the way to, in, the, in the book now "The Weight of Glory" and other addresses, uh, he said, "Good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be." answered. And I think we need to say we need to have good authority in order to counteract even battle, right, the bad. Mm. And that's why I think insisting on character and virtue in leaders uh, is is essential to us. And we cannot just ju- say the ends justify the means. Uh, well, they're going to get something accomplished that we think is good by using evil, Um Christians, we ought to say, my brothers, that shall not be. Now, um, what happens, Jesse, if and when the final authority becomes the individual self? Because we're moving in that direction yeah. uh, now. If we, you know, if you can't trust social networks, institutions, shared stories, maybe I just listen to your heart, Jesse, <laughs> and, and bring yourself out into the world and display yes. who you are to the yes. world and demand yes. affirmation. Yes. And, and by the way, this is so exhausting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got to maintain that picture. Oh, right it's so about. exhausting. And, and, yeah. The, the, the whole world, the, the, the imaginary of everything being power also is exhausting because then yes. you're just constantly having to figure out. Yeah. Like, you can't what, trust anybody. Can't trust anybody. Now, again, Charles Taylor, this is quoted by Sneed's book, what it means to be human. I've quoted him several times, like the book. Um, but he's he's talking about this idea of things shifting to the self, following Taylor. He says, given its singular focus on excavating the inner depths of the self to discover through expression the truth of who we are and what constitutes our fulfillment, Charles Taylor worried that this culture of expressive individualism would lead to the erosion of social and familial family ties and render unintelligible our obligations, that our duty to others. 
And then he says, Sneed says this, even relationships of marriage and family might be measured and embraced or abandoned strictly according to whether or how much they contribute to one's self-fulfillment. Taylor was concerned about the possibility of a thoroughgoing relativism, I'm concerned as well, wherein it do, one does not feel authorized to criticize or even fully grasp or understand the choice of others. Yet at the same time, he identified a new category of harm that emerges in a culture of expressive individualism. Now we're going to bring this up to date, namely the failure to receive, accept, and appreciate, and I would say celebrate, the expression of other people's inner depths to fail to recognize the expression of other selves is a violation and a harm to them. Mm. Jesse, summarize that for me. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if our social ties and these social networks and institutions are emptied of power, eroded of meaning, uh, if we don't receive our identity in any, in any meaningful way, and, it, and really all it is is we, we express who we are individually and demand, uh, we demand affirmation, celebration, uh, then really we've, we've become the center power, the center authority. Yeah. Uh, and then, it, 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 again, it, be, it plays further into this constant yeah. struggle and battle and yeah. And demand and cancel and all this sort of thing. Because if we put now. ourselves out there, our true selves on Tuesday, you know, 2023, yeah. and someone doesn't fully affirm, accept, and celebrate that, then we say, this is new, you're harming That's me. That's abuse. You're abusing me. Yeah. yeah. You're harming me. So you're doing harm if I don't acknowledge that every individual is defining their own authority on what's true for them, their truth. So they get the epistemic power. What's good for them? Moral ontology flows from the self, what they think about this, that, and, and you're doing something oppressive in the power game uh, by not recognize yeah. and celebrating whatever their autonomous choices are, right? If you say no to Foucault, you're doing harm to people. Even now you're doing violence, violence to yeah. people, uh, misgendering someone, violence. Uh, if you say something that makes someone else feel bad, Right, college campus, you're doing wrong, harm, violence to them, uh, and then power only enforces narratives, creates suspicion of those who dissent from them. Right, everybody playing the power game. So, uh, rather than a discussion of ideas, as hey, is this true or right or good or how do we see that? Whether being able to discuss that, you create a different regime. This is something that Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Uh, in the coddling of the American mind, says, look, we've grasped this untruth of fragility. Like if something doesn't kill us, it's going to make us weaker. So somebody can't even disagree with me publicly. You certainly can't learn together in that kind of context. Uh, They talked about the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings, right? Mm. Well, listen to the voice inside. What else is there? And the untruth of us versus them, that life is always a battle Mm. between the good people and the evil people even though we have lost our grasp on what good and evil really mean. So, Jesse, we're in a culture playing the power game. And and so what happens? Foucault, I think he's right about some things. I would say people are sinful and corrupt uh, and, you know, using power to do evil, uh, codifying power in laws and nations and systems, obviously. Um, But if we reduce all of life that, what do we do? We have no trust authorities, and we miss out on things like friendship, love, goodness, beauty. Hey, maybe this person is trying to care about me, 
And I should think they're doing something else and trying to just power gain me. But if we are just going to play the power game, we are in what Thomas Hobbes simply called war. Maybe you've seen some of these wars. War between men and women. War in the midst of families. War with others politically. War with those who have sexual preferences. War between ethnic groups. War between people who have more money than other people. What keeps us in all today, Jesse? God? Nope. God is dead. Let's play the power game. Uh, the state? Well, that's what many want today, but they profoundly disagree. So we devolve our public discourse into you're a racist. No, you're a fascist. You're a communist. And no one really is answering to anyone but their echo chamber and their feelings. Jesse, are we doomed? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Well, you know, <laughs> I guess it depends on the perspective. You know, I think some some of why this is so challenging and, and, um, and disrupting is that I, I grew up feeling, being taught and trained in a kind of um, enlightenment, progressive view of history. So yeah. like part of modernist view, yeah, of this history, modernist yeah. view that we're going to get better and better and better. Yeah. And so the last, you know, 10 years has been like, uh, and of course, I think <laughs> even 10 years ago, I had already sort of understood that that's not actually how history works. Although God and his grand plan of redemption is moving his, 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 his work of redemption is moving forward always. Yes, that's right. Uh, but that's right. how society is, how the that's world right. is, isn't necessarily, right? Yeah, so, there's no guarantee that we're not in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, somewhere. I mean, we're already like, in Foucault's yeah. fever dream, it feels yeah, like. So yeah. so are we doing well? It depends on your perspective. Yeah. You know, In terms of, um, from the perspective of a Christian and from what God's revealed, no, we're not doomed. In fact, God's not dead. That's right. Uh, and, That's right. And, and God even uh, sent His Son, who 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 uh, willingly laid aside power. That's right. That's uh, right. To take on the form of of a man, to take on the form of a servant, to not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to even uh, become obedient to the point of death on a cross, a, a criminal's death for us. He's sort of uh, he's he's demonstrated what it looks like. To lay power down That's right. at the service of others for love and for right. uh, redemption, and so no, That's we're right. not we're not doomed uh, <laughs> eternally. But um, and you know, I think too that that the way of Christ gives us hope that our churches and our families and our friendships Amen. can reflect something that is so different from the power wars That's right. that are happening around us. That in the end, that they may. Uh, uh, attract people. They may, um, and, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a Rod Dre. I don't think Rod Dreher's really into the Benedict adoption anymore. I don't either, know what but, Rod Dreher's into. Yeah, but but the uh, the idea that that these communities and families and friendships may uh, sort of outlast uh, the fall of whatever's happening right now culturally. There's I always think that's worth believing. There, there's always a sprig of green in the ground in the yeah, post-apocalyptic yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, watch, so no, Wall, watch Wally, right? Wally, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if I could quote George Martin, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. The power game ends and perpetual warfare, and someone has to 
die. So Jesse, what do we do in the borderlands between the church and culture? I like the term granular renewal. I haven't okay. heard this word like from that. anywhere. Okay. I, I, maybe I just made it up. You perhaps. might have done that. Yeah. If you've copyrighted the term granular renewal, <laughs> produce your prior art and I'll submit to you. But um, granular renewal, in other words, in the grassroots, grainy, yeah. fine tailings of life, in life, in mm. family, in local churches, in local communities... Right, we take a posture. I've told this to my kids. We talk about what it, what will the world be like in fifty years, right? Who knows? Um, whether it's a chaotic world and the road warriors are going, or whether we live in some sort of great situation, some Pax Romana, which is also a, a farce of history, whatever it is, Christian people who know Jesus, right? Our our uh, our pathway. Behold, there's a way that looks right to a man, the end leads to death. Jesus said, come with him, enter in the narrow way. He he calls us to a rule of life, the golden rule, treat others as you have them treat you, and a way of being based upon his grace and authority in our lives. Our path is is the same, whether we live in a good time or bad, a a difficult season, uh, whatever the government is over us, whatever it is, we have a posture of Philippians 2, right? Humility. We have a posture of always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, 1 Peter 3. We are servants for the sake of Christ. That must be our identity, not influenced by right, left wing, whatever. Uh, We must live for the good and the right and the true and not flinch from saying, yes, we do believe we've received these things from God, from revelation, uh, from the person of Jesus himself. We won't move from that. And then we are free to be like him and lay down power for the sake of love and justice. Just this morning, Jesse, um, my fame, I would say my family, but it wasn't my family. It was uh, me, Tommy, uh, and Casey uh, read in this little devotional thing I, that, I, that I read through some mornings. Uh, and it was happening to me, Mark chapter 10, and, and it ends this way. Jesus called his friends to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers or great ones of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so amongst you. But for whoever would be great amongst you in our community, where we have Jesus as the high point that keeps us in awe, uh, whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. So, Jesse, truth, goodness, and beauty are what we drive towards with love and respect Amen. and service, guiding the compass and the way. Jesse. Let's go. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever watched Game of Thrones. I have not. <laughs> I have not. But don't, I know there's no middle ground. You win or you die. That's what I know. <laughs> That's in a book. You don't even have to watch that. The Gospel Underground Podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Please review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable. We're using our power over you to get good reviews. <laughs> Send your comments, feedbacks, and or questions you might want us to take up here to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture where we're all playing sacred games. Let's right. submit them to the will and purpose of Jesus. Peace. Amen. Peace. Peace.